Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. there it's scary parish it's wednesday february 3rd 2021 welcome back to the cbs sports i own college basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black matt norlander is here with me and the only respectful way to begin this episode is by recognizing that scott drew's baylor bears formerly known as bill henderson's baylor bears improved to 17 and 0 on the season tuesday night with an 83 69 victory at texas they outscored the Longhorns by seven in the first half. They outscored the Longhorns by seven in the second half. As a result, Baylor, otherwise known as Terry Teagle's alma mater, is now 17-0 with 15 double-digit wins. The Bears are number one at Ken Palm. They're number one in the net. They are awesome, undeniably. Norlander, it's your turn to talk about Baylor. Are you going to spend the next few minutes showing proper respect for the first lady of Baylor basketball, or are you going to once again disrespect Kelly Drew and Scott Drew, plus Mackenzie Payton and Brody, not to mention Homer and Janet, Bryson Tara, Dana and her husband Casey, Bryson, Anna, Isaiah, Caleb, and Luke, plus Drew Barrymore, Drew Carey, Drew Brees, Drew Bledsoe, Dr. Drew, Drew Gooden, and Drew McIntyre. How are you going to handle this moment? Yeah, Bryce doesn't care. Um, he does care. He, Bryce doesn't care. I talked to him about it. Yeah, he doesn't care. Um, <laughs> how are you going to atone for the fact that you still don't have Baylor number one? I mean, I think it's disrespectful at this point. If I'm running a daily top 25-1 and one after what I saw last night, I got Baylor number one. But you don't. And you disrespect the entire Drew family and okay. every Drew. You know, shouts to Drew McGarry as well. You're disrespecting them all. You've got Baylor number two. I think you're the one who needs to explain himself. I, I actually can explain myself. And I do get asked this question every day. I saw Strongjaw last night trying to make the case that Baylor should be number one. And I, let me be clear, I won't argue with anybody that says Baylor should be number one. Baylor at this moment has a better resume than Gonzaga. Got six quadrant on wins. The Zags only have five. Baylor is uh, got the best adjusted efficiency margin in the country and one of the best of all time at this point, if you want to, if you want to put Baylor number one, it is fine with me. It's just, and I think we've talked about this before. I made a rule a long time ago. I will not drop a number one team unless it loses. The only time I made an exception, I went and looked it up is two seasons ago. Kansas was number one in the top 25 and one to open the season. Uh, Kentucky might've been two. Duke was in the top five somewhere and Duke, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, and you remember the other one. His uh, name started with an R. Alex and a O'Connell. J. It was not. It was uh, not. Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. R.J. Barrett. And so they went out mm. and they just throttled um, Kentucky on opening night at Banker's Life. And I just, I was even conflicted then because like Kansas had just won and, and it was one and oh and number one. And I was like, I don't, it just feels silly not to have that Duke team that just did that to Kentucky rank number one. So I made an exception to the rule then, but I've been ranking college basketball teams for better or worse for like more than 15 years now. And I've only dropped a number one team without it losing one time. And that is the example. So I'm not going to drop Gonzaga because Gonzaga is doing everything 
it can possibly do. The Zags, when you play in the West Coast Conference or a league that's less than the Big 12 or the Big 10 or the ACC, the only thing you can do and the only thing I ask when you are trying to be great and are great, schedule as aggressively as you can outside of your league and then handle everything in your league appropriately. And that is what Gonzaga did. You know, they started the season 7-0 and with double-digit wins over Iowa, Virginia, Kansas. So it's not like they haven't proven themselves against the best in the country. And then they are 8-0 in the West Coast Conference and winning those games by an average of 25.4 points. To drop Gonzaga at this point would not be to reward Baylor as much as I think it would be to punish Gonzaga for its league affiliation. And there's nothing Gonzaga can do about its league affiliation. The only reason they don't have as many quadrant one wins at this point as Baylor is because they don't have the opportunities. And I'm not going to assume that Gonzaga couldn't do in the big 12, what Baylor is doing in the big 12, which is marching toward what sure looks like to me is going to be an undefeated regular season. So Gonzaga won Baylor two in the top 25 and one forever or until Gonzaga takes a loss. But I do think we are going to get to a point if the Bears run the table, go undefeated, they're going to be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament, and I would understand why. They would have the better resume. Disrespectful to the to the think, Drew family. Did is. you get some second and third cousins in there, by the way? You had, you had a whole, you had a long list. Something tells me you've been uh, you've been texting Scott on the side looking for the the twenty three and Me history on that. <laughs> well, I wanted to get Dana in there. Dana, of course, is the other Drew child of Homer and Janet. It is Scott and okay. Bryce and Dana. Dana's husband is Casey. They have children as well. I just didn't want to leave anybody out. I gotcha. Okay, there we go. Uh, no pets yeah, though. This- couldn't couldn't get the pets. You know, you're slacking there. Um, I- Get, wait for Friday's podcast. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I almost texted Scott Drew and said, I want the name of your pet so I can throw him right back at GP, but I did not go that far. Um, I, I, how about this? I, I picked, uh, listen, I'm not going to run from it. I picked Texas to win this game. Yeah. <sighs> Mistake. Hey, hey, I'm sorry. Okay. Took a little chance. Might have backfired. This is statistically... You want to take chances. You take chances picking against Duke and against North Carolina. You don't take chances picking against Baylor. They beat the hell out of everybody. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, pardon me, Mr. Perfect. I guess I forgot that you never, ever make a mistake. The fact that this was supposed to be statistically the most difficult game of Baylor's schedule, road game, top 10 team in the metrics, Texas is, you know, it's got it's got four losses now. It's actually all three of his past four, and and those have all come at home. It's actually kind of an interesting situation for the Longhorns. I'll get to in just a second there, uh, but the fact that this was projected uh, percentage wise, I think this was um, this was supposed to be like a sixty two or sixty three percent chance that Baylor would win going into it, um, and that was the lowest percentage that it's had the entire season. Like the rest of the way. The toughest game it's supposed to have, it's actually a tie at the moment. They have a 77% chance, according to Ken Palm, at Oklahoma, at West Virginia, and at Kansas. So however that's been measured out, those are all equal. But the last time it was supposed to be the toughest, 83-69 win. And, I mean, good God. Um, yeah, I mean, we can have the discussion now whether this team can run the table. Because I said I wanted to see them get through Auburn, and then more importantly, Texas. They're projected right now, it's just 29% to win 
the the Bears their next eight games. So still much more likely than not that they don't. I have a trivia time for you. Okay. You ready? Sure. Trivia time. Yes. Baylor right now is number three in offensive efficiency at Kempom and number three in defensive efficiency. Yeah, tell me something I don't know. Okay, how about this? This only happened three other times. End of the season, teams have been top three in both. Who are the three teams? Go. Kentucky 2015. Incorrect. Damn it. Was it one of Bill Henderson's teams? It Well, it might... Mr. Pomeroy wasn't walking on terra firma at that point, so we don't know for sure. But you know what? I'm gonna. It's an honorary mention, but it's not. This is in the Ken Palm age, uh, 0102 to now. 2012 Kentucky. Incorrect. 2008 Kansas. Correct. One of the three, and the only one of the three that won a national championship. Ooh, that's your little hint. I don't think the other two are gettable. I don't think you're gonna get them. I'll give you three more guesses, and then we'll. And then I'll tell you who it is. Okay. Didn't win a national championship, but was obviously great. Who finished number one at Kim Palm 2017? 17 would have been the, actually, that was the year Gonzaga was really, really awesome. I th- let me bring it up. I'm pretty sure Gonzaga, because remember, it was undefeated until it lost at BYU, and uh, that was Carolina winning it. Uh, Gonzaga was the number one Ken Palm team in 2017. Yep. Okay, I would guess Gonzaga then. Incorrect. Gonzaga was the number one rated defense and the 16th rated offense that season. Whoa. Well, that's disappointing. No, no wonder they got knocked off. Um, Two is it RJ Barrett's team? Don't know who that is. Jeez. Oh, uh, what about 2008 Memphis? Incorrect. The 2008 Memphis team was second in defense, sixth in offense. Again, you're trying Pretty to get top tier elite, top three in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Uh, there's only one team ever. That has been number one in both, and it was, uh, it was the same. The same team has done it in 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 these the, the two other teams. It's the same school. So I would I would get Duke. Yes. What year? Duke. I don't think it was two thousand. Didn't win a national championship. Did not win a national championship. I don't know. Just tell me. I'm tired. Okay. The year Duke won it in 2010, it was fifth in def- defense, first in offense. The 2003-2004 Duke team was second in offense, third in defense. That team was a one seed. Featured the likes of freshman Luol Deng, Sheldon Williams, J.J. Redick, Chris Duhon, Daniel Ewing. That team, uh, 04. Who won the 04 title, GP? Trivia time. Inside trivia time. 2004 title? Come on now. I've, I've, I, it is long established. I'm not good at this. UConn over Georgia Tech. Two. I was about to say UConn. I swear to God, because Georgia Tech had that redheaded guy. Luke Shensher shouts. Yeah. <laughs> I love how he did. I can't not wait to put a Luke Shensher photo. The only thing I remember this. about that Final Four is the redheaded guy. Yep, there we go. And you're going to forget Jared Jack like that. It's disrespectful to the Jack family, to Gary Jack, Gerard Jack, and and everyone else in the Jack family. Jack, P- Jack Pertles. <laughs> The other one and the only team ever. Shouts to, by the way, Doctor of Dunk on Twitter, who direct messaged me this trivia time, um, or actually tweeted at me, and then I looked it up, and it's uh, it's going in the court report. But I was like, I'm using this on the podcast. The 2001-2002 Duke team was first in offensive and defensive efficiency. That team had Jason Williams before he was Jay. It had Boozer, Mike Dunleavy, Dante Jones, Chris Duhon. That's the team. That was, there was not number one overall seeds yet in the tournament, but it would have been the number one overall seed, and it got knocked out 
in the Sweet 16 at Rupp Arena by Indiana. So that's the only team to ever finish number one in both. Baylor's obviously got a shot, but it is top three. And the point is, uh, the Bears are in rare territory here. To be top three in both, if you expand it to top five, you add another five or six teams over the years, but top three in both. And it's why, as we sit here and talk this morning, Baylor is number one in Ken Palm. We'll see if Gonzaga can leapfrog. They've been going back and forth with each subsequent result. So Baylor's going to hold on to this until Gonzaga's next game, which we don't even know when that's going to be. It's next scheduled game is February 11th. Um, Gonzaga is currently trying to, to play another. I, I, I know when Gonzaga's next game is going to be. Oh, you do. Yeah. I just can't say. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so we'll, we'll wait and see on that. Uh, but I would put, if I was doing a top 25 and one at this point, um, I would put Baylor number one and Gonzaga two. Uh, I had Gonzaga one, Baylor two on my power rankings that went up Tuesday, but when they refresh next week, if Baylor doesn't lose, I'll put Baylor number one there just because uh, I think it's done enough at this point, but it's a, it's a compelling argument uh, all the same. I had a thought on Texas, but I'll wait in case you want to. Well, yeah, I just want to sort of hammer home something I touched on earlier. Like this Baylor team isn't just number one in Ken Palm. It is putting together one of the greatest adjusted efficiency margins in the history of the Ken Palm era. It's plus 35.50 right now. Gonzaga's plus 34.65. And then there's a significant gap after those two. But, you know, Baylor and Gonzaga have been flip-flopping back and forth, back and forth you know, for, for weeks now. Now Baylor has taken more than a one point full one point lead over over the Zags, and this is, I mean, the highest adjusted efficiency margin in the Kimpom era is Kentucky 2015 plus 36.91. Right now, if the season were to stop today, and it might, we're in a pandemic, you never know. Mm -hmm. If the season were to stop today, Baylor would finish with the second best adjusted efficiency margin in the Ken Palm era, which dates back to the 2001-2002 season. What that suggests is that these Baylor Bears would be favored over every national champion we've had since 2002, which is incredible to think about, but statistically... Well, yeah, I mean, every season is a universe unto itself, but I get what you're saying, that yes. But in reality, would these Baylor Bears be favored over 2007-2008 Kansas if you could put them on a neutral and bend the universe to your will? Um, I don't know, but with because, again, the adjusted look efficiency who's, look margin... Look who's being disrespectful now. Okay, well, the, the adjusted efficiency margin is within the context of this season. So I see what you're saying, but that's not necessarily the case that it would have been favored over like 07-08 Kansas. So all I know is this Baylor doesn't need a Mario Chalmers three to beat anybody. <laughs> That's, it, it, it does not at this point. It's, it's frankly, and you know what? One more quick thing before we move on to Texas. Like I was thinking about this last night to me, it's just, it's just so tremendous that like six years ago, five years ago on this podcast, I, I dropped some sort of trivia time that was not trivia time at the time. And, and you discover, like, the Terry Teagle call, uh, NBA reference page, and it becomes a thing, and now Baylor's the best team in the history of the universe. It's just, of all the players, of all the programs, it had to be Terry Teagle's alma mater. It's we were there from the beginning with the Baylor Bears. We've been there from the start. We've been there since the time of Bill Henderson, man. What do you want me to since say here? We were, there, we were there for Bill Henderson's multiple runs to what amounts to the Final Four of the NCAA Tournament. I love that you're hashtagging Bill Henderson on Twitter because <laughs> nobody well, knows who he no, is. No, no, no. Hold you up. had a healthy percent of of listeners follow you, but like the the idea that there are like you know people that only listen to your radio show or 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 sports writers that like 
that don't follow college basketball at all and they just see this. They see hashtag Bill Henderson. They think Bill <laughs> Henderson's some like up and coming junior power forward on the team or something like that. It makes me chuckle. Uh, <laughs> it's just funny. Um, real quick on Texas. So yeah, it's here's the deal. So first of all, Shaka Smart was able to come back uh, from COVID and he detailed on a media call earlier this week that he had like he had a really, really tough time with it. And um, the fact that Texas lost this game, considering all the circumstances around it, aside from Baylor just being good, wasn't a terrible surprise. But what's interesting is the Longhorns, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, have lost three of their past four. Now, they've been to really good teams, all quad one losses, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and Baylor. And the only win in there is a home win over putrid Kansas State. But now it actually gets interesting. Like, Texas could wind up, and we'll see what happens here, Parrish. But Texas could actually wind up scooting itself into a situation where its seed is not reflective of its ceiling and its talent because four of its next five games in the Big 12 are on the road. So it's gone from a 10-1 and team with, a, with an undefeated record in the Big 12 to now it's 11-4 and overall with a 5-3 and mark in the Big 12. Four of its next five are on the road. It's got to play at Oklahoma State, a relatively easy one at Kansas State after that. Home to TCU should be a win, but then at Oklahoma at Iowa State. If it takes a couple more losses in there, if it takes one or two, in addition to the fact it still has to play at Texas Tech, it's still got a game against Kansas, it's got a home game against West Virginia. You know, I could see this Texas team entering the NCAA tournament with, say, eight losses. Maybe that puts it on the four line. Uh, I don't know. And if that were to be the case, it'd be super intriguing because let's say it was a four seed. It, you know, I think it's it's good enough. Like, if it had won last night, it would have been still in the potential one-seed conversation. So we could have a situation where Texas is on the four-line, gets into the Sweet 16, and then you've got a really interesting situation if it were to play a one in that Sweet 16 game. So just keep an eye on the Longhorns going forward. I kind of get the sense that they are going to be um, uh, just a, a line or two blower than what you think they should be. Not that that won't be warranted, but they've just taken on a few too many home losses as of late that I think they, they're not going to be able to catch up and maintain that two-seed status they were chasing. I'm unconcerned. They are still three and four in the first quadrant, six and four in the first two, and all four losses are quad one losses. And one of them was they're missing three of their top eight players and their head coach. Like I, I understand, you know, it, it, it looks when you say somebody is one and three in, in, in their past four games, that that doesn't sound great. It's not great, but I, I do believe the context matters. And the context is that, one of the losses was a, despite the 14 point difference, a competitive loss to arguably the best team in the country that, that almost nobody competes with. And then another of the losses was, um, you know, you're, you're missing three of your top eight players, including arguably your best player, plus your head coach and you lose by a point. And then the third loss in that stretch is a, a, a two point loss to a Texas tech team that, you know, has Mac McClung's mom raising the roof after every bucket. So what are you going to do? You know, yeah. honestly, what are you going to do in that situation? So I, I'm unconcerned. I've still got Texas in the top 10 of the top 25 and one, um, you know, again, th they competed with Baylor. Ultimately it was just in, in not amazing to watch at this point. Cause you sort of expect it, but like Baylor sitting there taking punches, Greg Brown dunks on the world, cuts yeah, it to 55, no. 51 gets a tech. Which, by the way, we should cut that out. You, If you dunk on somebody, you should be able to stare at them. Get it done. I don't know if they're going to change it, but they should. That was absolute filth. And, yeah, if you posterize someone, allow them, allow them a second and a half to mean mug. And, <laughs> Seven seconds. What? I don't care. I mean, come on for now. Every, I know. For every addition, at some point, mean mugging becomes counterproductive to the 
to the larger goal of winning the game because you're sitting there staring at a guy laying on the ground <laughs> and the other team's going the other way. You're not getting back. So like, that's on you. Like you, you have to make a decision in it, 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 it. It's a punishment in and of itself. You have to make a decision. Do I want to continue to mean mug or do I want to get back on defense? And if you continue to mean mug, I'm fine with it because the punishment is, is tied to now your team's at a right. disadvantage because you're not back. Right. So let's just stay out of it. Keep our whistles out of our stupid mouths and and let if you dunk on somebody, you should be able to hang on the rim. You should be able to mean mug. You should be able to maybe air hump if you want to. That's that's a personal preference. I would air hump, but okay. if you don't want to, that's fine. I just don't the idea that we give techs in college basketball for people celebrating awesome things is ridiculous. It is, but I'm not surprised by it, and I'd love for it to change, and I don't think it's going to. But, yes, this is college basketball's uh, stare at the home run shot for uh, three seconds after you begin to trot thing. Now, in baseball, there's no penalty. It's just this stupid idea that you can't do it, and so there's got to be retribution, so the players handle themselves, whereas in college basketball, you actually have an official who's doling out a technical foul there. But give a little bit more leeway here. I'm right. I'm right there with you. That dunk was absolutely, as I wrote, that dunk was worth 14 technical fouls. Even if, if even if none were deserved, that was uh, except, just, except just here, here's the problem. Like I saw a lot of that. Like, ooh, that was you know, it's worth the technical foul. I, except you're in a game against the number two team in the country. You cut it to four. I know. And now you've got Baylor shooting technical free throws. And immediately Baylor goes on a 6-0 run, pushes it back up to 10, 61-51. Texas never got closer than five points after the technical foul. And Baylor just pulled away late. So it, it like made a real impact on the game. And I don't think we should be punishing play. I know that the ref didn't do anything wrong according to the rules as they are written. I'm not blaming any official individual. I just wish that it would be understood across the board. We're not going to possibly impact the outcome of a game by punishing somebody for celebrating an incredible play specifically a dunk they don't do it in the nba let's stop doing it in college basketball but either way they did it baylor gets technical free throws they push it up to a 10 point lead they end up winning by 14 just another incredible performance from scott drew's bears and and now we'll continue to watch if they can go undefeated throughout the rest of this big 12 schedule I, obviously they can will they we'll see but at this point um you know you gave me proper odds i'd, I'd be willing to take that bet Duke lost to Miami on Monday night. North Carolina lost to Clemson on Tuesday night. Both schools are currently projected to miss the NCAA tournament. We're going to talk about that next. But first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. 
So Duke lost as a favorite at Miami on Monday night. North Carolina lost as a favorite at Clemson on Tuesday night. Norlander, I believe there are seven active Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame coaches in college basketball. They are in alphabetical order. Jim Beheim, John Calipari, Tom Izzo, Mike Krzyzewski, Rick Pitino, Bill Self, and Roy Williams. And right now, only one, Bill Self, has a team projected to make the 2021 NCAA tournament. Are you ready? For an NCAA tournament next month without Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Michigan State, Syracuse, and Iona. Uh, you had Iona in the Sweet 16 in the 2021 NCAA tournament. Don't forget that. 2023 NCAA tournament. Rick Patino will have a top 25 yeah, okay. team How's that in, a, in a Sweet 16 team. I'm predicting that. Yeah. No Iona. Yeah, we'll see on that. Um, good stat there. Six out of the seven. Yeesh. So, uh, real quick on the Duke game, which happened Monday night. Um Listen, it's just, it's terrible. You cannot lose that game. I can't lose that game. Now, Miami has been weird in that it's gotten a Miami has had anywhere from two to six scholarship players unavailable on a nightly basis this season. It has had brutal luck between COVID issues, injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just not a good team this season. Uh, and yet, weirdly, it has home wins over Louisville. And, and Duke and has a, has a road win at NC State and has beaten Purdue. It's the best 7-10 and 10 team I've ever seen in my entire life. So shouts to Jim Laranega, who I think is all vaccinated up. Good on you, sir. But this is a bad loss for Duke. Duke right now is in a dire situation with its resume. It is 66 in the net as of today. It's, uh, it's technically now 1-3 in quad one. It was winless. One of its teams jumped in. One of its wins jumped in there. Let me check that real quick in real time, GP, because it was 0-3 when that lost that game. So the quad one win at this point uh, is going to be Clemson, maybe? It's either Clemson or at Notre Dame. I bet you it's at Notre Dame. The point is they're well below what they need to be in quad one to have inclusion, and they're 2-2 two and two in quad three games. So we weirdly have – so you have that, and then you have Carolina lay an egg. Now, good on Clemson for winning the way that it did. I mean, Clemson – at one point, had the number one rated defense in, in the sport, and this was three weeks ago. Then Virginia snatched its soul, and it, it the Tigers tailspin. Able to have won two of the past three, both at home. Got a win over Louisville over the weekend, uh, which was good. And got a win over Carolina and squeezed in between. Just an absolute, just, you know, disaster at Duke over the weekend, which made people think, okay, maybe Duke's got a shot. So... Clemson, good on you. More work to do, but I think you're going to head to the NCAA tournament. Duke and Carolina, we're not there. Now, what's what's wild is, so there's a, there's been a lot of, not a lot of, but there's been some uh, some noise about the fact that this upcoming Duke-Carolina game on the weekend is going to be the first time, and it is isn't. It is nuts. I mean, it's the first time since 1960 that these teams will play a game and neither of them are ranked. It's been like 153 consecutive games that at least one of them are ranked in many of those games. Uh, I think uh, well over half have been when both of them are ranked. So that's crazy. This would be an irrelevant game if not for the fact that now there's legitimate urgency behind it. Like, it's a situation where the loser... It does, it's not that they don't have any chance whatsoever of making the NCAA tournament. You know, the ACC is going to hold this tournament, and, you know, that situation, I guess, is always out there. But a loss here for Carolina, and it goes to 11-7. and seven. It's got its own resume issues to to consider. It's on the road, so it's going to be a little bit difficult. And then if Duke loses, I mean, it's, it's definitely absolutely over. It's basically almost over at this point anyway. Um, so, yeah, it, weirdly enough, if, like, if Carolina had defeated Clemson on the road, and and Duke's had had won like it would it would 
be something. They'd be like, okay, they're in the mix. But now there's actually there's more tension in this game because of the circumstances behind it, which is which is a bit fascinating in its own right. Duke's quadrant one win is actually at Notre Dame. It is at Notre Dame. <laughs> Notre Dame is 70th in the net, so that qualifies. A road win over the Irish qualifies as a quad one win right now, but there's a chance Notre Dame could fall out of the top 70, at which point Duke would be sitting on zero yes. quadrant one wins. The The resume right now, like, like it's very easy to say Duke's projected to miss the NCAA tournament. I think everybody acknowledges that. I don't think people understand how far away they are right now from making the NCAA tournament. I mean, they, they are three and four in the first two quadrants with two quadrant three losses. That is awful. Like, that's not even sniffing. Now, what's, yeah, you're right. Now, what's, how about this? So the predictive metrics are still okay on Duke. They're, Duke is, um, what, 32nd Ken Palm, 32nd Sagarin. 39 BPI, but the more results oriented, the net to me is, is somewhat predictive because it's, it's, it's got a little bit of those qualities. They like to say it isn't, but whatever it's 66 in the net. It's 84th in KPI and it's 70 to your point, GP it's 77th in strength of records. So strength of record is the least discussed metric, which I think is one of the most important ones because it is uh, an evaluation of how good you are against the opponents you've played and valuing that against the rest of the sport. So if you are, if you are outside the sixties in strength of record, I think almost without exception, you have no business even being considered for an at-large bid. So the only thing that's even keeping Duke in this discussion, and frankly, while we're talking about him, is Duke is Duke. And it's got decent predictive numbers still. You know, that's it. From a, a lot of the other stuff, it's not even close. You're absolutely right. They're not in the first 15 out as far as I'm concerned at this point. They are they are well beyond it. And frankly, Duke has room to lose maybe one more game. Uh, and, and all the other ones better be wins. Otherwise, it's not going to be in this conversation. Yeah, again, like the Kinpom numbers are are good, like top thirty five at Kinpom, but also misleading as it as it relates strictly to Duke's resume. I, I don't, I'm not suggesting it's misleading relative to Duke's potential as a basketball team, but Duke's NCAA tournament resume, like if you had to turn in your work today, it, it's not even close. Said I am interested in this weekend's Duke North Carolina game because you could argue, like if you really had to sell it, that it's more important than a typical Duke, North Carolina game. A typical Duke, North Carolina game is two ranked teams and, you know, they're playing for, you know, pride and bragging rights and, you know, a seed line somewhere, but they're not playing for their lives. Duke and Carolina are fighting to the death this weekend. (laughs) One one survives with at-large hopes and the other one gone yeah it's over for the other one it's, it's not actually Let's but say, but it's it's not pretty that's for sure it's, but you get the yeah it's certainly not pretty i tell and you what so, yeah and it throws it if, if carolina loses at duke that throws it into more doubt for both teams both teams need to win it but if carolina wins at duke it's got a better path of making the tournament than if duke beats carolina if you follow all right let me ask you this is i mean we're about Regardless of what happens with Duke, North Carolina, mm-hmm. we are about to, ha- it, it sure seems like we're about to have a season that concludes with an NCAA tournament, unlike anything you and I have ever seen. And I don't mean just one played in Indianapolis yeah. with limited crowds. I mean, no Michigan State. No, I mean, at this point, Tom Izzo, you know, Tom, everybody understands Tom Izzo has been a 22 straight NCAA yeah, tournament. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. Okay, not only is that not happening, Michigan State's 
probably going to finish with a losing record. Tom Izzo's never had a losing record in his head coaching career. So no Michigan State, no Kentucky, no Duke, no North Carolina, no Syracuse. This is all possible, if not probable. Do you think it's just, wow, what a year? Or do you think the pandemic has played a role in that? Is it just a coincidence this is happening in this season? Or is there some way to tie the things together? I don't know if that's really the case. Um, why, you know, <laughs> sounds like the the plot of some sort of show. Yes, this mysterious thing is affecting only the traditionally really, really good programs. I mean, I don't think so. Um, I don't. Uh, but it the is- only way the only way to argue it, I think, or at least the most obvious way to argue it, whether it's right or wrong, is that these programs have incredible home court advantages that just yes, do not exist anymore. Yes, but some teams are overcoming those advantages, but I, I understand what you're saying. Um, a reminder to listeners, I think I've mentioned this on the pod, I have had it on the site in a couple of different spots in the past three weeks or so. The last time we had an NCAA tournament without Carolina and Duke, uh, it was 74, and without Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Michigan State, any kind of combination of those was 1974. It has been a long Long time since we have, and then you throw in Arizona. It's just since basically the seventies that we have had a tournament, and that and there wasn't there wasn't sixty four teams, there wasn't sixty eight teams. There was, I think, seventy four might have been twenty five teams in the field. I think it was the last twenty five team field uh, when the rules were different, and you know, you you basically got one team out of every league. It was just a different setup altogether there. So we are headed toward, man, it's gonna be. I'm I'm ready for this tournament. I think it's going to be wild, wacky, and I hope that we get Baylor Gonzaga in the title game. That would be uh, to truly give us that. If you're going to have this abnormal field, otherwise, but no, let's have, let's take it a step further. Undefeated Gonzaga yes. against undefeated Baylor in the title game. That is now what I'm hoping for. Yes, let's go. Let's get this done here because it, again, they tried to play each other in the regular season. It fell through. Um, listen, any the fact that we're going to get a tournament, it's going to be great and all that stuff, any title game, whatever. But if you can, if we're going to be void of all this other stuff, I think, frankly, if we're being completely honest, if you are not going to have, you know, five of the nine or ten biggest programs in the sport in the NCAA tournament, the tournament's going to be fine. Millions of people are going to watch it. Millions of people are going to make their picks and do their pools and all that stuff, and the thirst will be plenty high. But if you're not going to have those teams, then the way you make up for it is you have two undefeated teams on opposite ends of the bracket, clearly ahead of the rest of the field, and you're watching to see if they can you know, work their way down and down round by round to go ahead and meet in the title game. What about Drake in the title game? Hey, undefeated Drake, me. would you take that? I would take Drake in the title game. If we could have a situation there where Drake also entered the NCAA tournament undefeated, that would be that. that's just an incredible bonus if we could get it, by the way. If we can get it. Dra- How about Drake... 17 and 0 and right now you know where it is in the net this morning top 10 it's 11th it's 11th in the net it's 11th Loyola Chicago is 14th we'll save you know what let's save it for next week though they play each other next week if they can get there the valley could be a a two-bit situation here real well, quick well, well, well this is an important week for the valley it, and for drake specifically they entered the ap poll yes at number 25 they are in the top 25 and one at number 25 and the way to rationalize it i think because i've I struggled with drake because uh, computer numbers are strong they've been 
dominating most people. It's not just 17 and 0, it's 17 and 0 with 13 double digit wins. 16 and 1 against the damn spread, GP. This team is 16 and 1 against the spread. It's the best right. team against, for gamblers. It's it's been the best team by far this season. They, they the, the the issue if you want to nitpick is they have no quadrant 1 wins, but they are 4 and 0 in quad 2, and that's what I settled on. Okay. They haven't played quad 1 games, but they have played quad 2 games and they've won them all. And here's a list of teams that have lost quad two games. Houston, Illinois, Iowa, Virginia, Alabama, Texas Tech, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Florida, Creighton, Florida State. They're not all perfect in quad two opportunities. They've all taken at least one loss in quad two. Drake has played four quad two games, won them all, put them in the top 25 and one, put them in the eight pole, and put them in that whatever you do thing. You Power call, rankings. Whatever. Hey, 19. Yeah, the hey nineteen. But, the Franklin. Yeah, um, seventeen and zero. Next two are at Valpo, worst, worst named home venue in college basketball. By the way, trivia time. What's Valpo's home arena named? The Bryce Drew Center. <laughs> uh, on this podcast, you're damn right it is. Bryce, the Jan- the Bryce Janet, does care the about Janet. It. The Janet Drew Center. Bryce does care about that. By the way, it's the Athletics Recreation Center. What are we doing here? Now, to be fair, the the acronym is fine. It's it's referred to as the ARC Athletics Recreation Center. So the ARC, that sounds better than Athletics Recreation Center, the blandest, worst home venue name. Yeah, why can't we just call it the Homer and Janet Drew Center? Let's make it happen. I mean, why would you start a campaign? Like, I understand selling it to like Walmart and like, hey, it's the Walmart Center on Valpo's campus. But if we're just calling it something that has no mon- no no financial gain to it, Name it after Homer and Janet. Let's get it going. I don't know what the hold up is. Name it after Dana Drew. There we go. I mean, let's come on. Let's get it done here. Um, Formerly Dana Drew, of course. uh, Of course. Now, Drake is at Valpo this weekend, and then it's got a home game scheduled against Northern Iowa, and then Loyola Chicago. So it's got to get through three more games before we can have a potentially just tremendous Valentine's Day weekend with Loyola Chicago. Drake, me and my wife are definitely uh, getting into the cozies under the blanket and watching Cameron Crutwig. Wait till I I tell my wife we're spending Valentine's Day weekend watching Loyola Chicago and Drake. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait for my wife to be all in. She might really, she might honestly think I mean, a Drake concert with some somebody named Loyola Chicago opening. She might actually think that's that that's what I would be trying to get her involved in. It's like, hey, you want to watch Drake? She and might, Loyola she Chicago might be like, oh, the weekend? band Chicago. Oh, I think I know. Yeah, <laughs> they're opening watch, for Drake. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Loyola Chicago is opening for Drake. That's cool. Is it on pay per view or something? Or do we? What do we have to do? do, we, um, do is it like a virtual concert? No. It's like, no, it's a Missouri Valley Conference basketball game. You're going to watch this 6'9 dude named Cameron throw the meanest freaking backdoor bounce pass you've ever seen in your life, honey. Get Cameron into the mood Crowley. right now. It's going to be amazing. Hey, real quick, um, mm. just a couple quick notes from Tuesday night that we didn't touch on. The Illinois-Indiana game. Listen, I am so thankful that we have a season. We have games. We get to podcast and talk about all this stuff. That was horrible. Okay? <laughs> Parrish, that was disgusting. I watched every minute of it. Don't I talk did, to too. Me. Oh my god! I'm sitting there and I'm I'm up in my office. I'm in a tie to do it, like the post game HQ. I thought it was gonna be on 11:05. I went on at 12:15 at night. <laughs> it's fine. It's what it is. It's a job, and it was what, fine. But like that did, was a, what made that? Why did that game last so long? So Dude, many fouls, fouls, stupid reviews. It just it was a slog. I, I didn't enjoy it whatsoever. Illinois gets a first win in a decade plus that they've won at assembly hall. So shouts to them getting a, getting a good win there. Indiana remains, you know, Indiana took a loss. Maryland got a win. Those are two of the, uh, 
the real moving targets in that league in terms of NCAA tournament outlooks and stuff like that. Credit to Maryland. I do want to mention it got a good home win. It beats all these ranked teams on the road. It finally got a win at home over a ranked team and beat Purdue in the process. So it did itself some some good there. So good for the Terps there. IU fans just got to be just, again, listen, I, I, I don't know what it's like to be an Indiana fan, but I hear you. This has just got to be a just grit your teeth, pull your hair out experience on an every game basis. IU is now nine and eight, four and six in the league. It's got a tournament resume. We'll, we'll have to wait and see where it can go from here. It's got to pick up some wins. It's flirting with around 50th overall in the net. It's the same. It's not the same deal, but it's an improved version of Duke. The predictive metrics still really like the Hoosiers. They're top 30 across the board and all that. The resume-based metrics all have Indiana basically 48th to 60th overall, so they have plenty of work to do. That was obviously a notable game. Trace Jackson Davis remains awesome. Kofi Coburn sometimes just... It, that dude is a freaking monster. Love watching him go. That was obviously no. Is he the game. hardest dunker in college Maybe. basketball in terms of just violence? Maybe. Yeah. And I love and I love that violence. I just listen, we've been waiting for Illinois to be something really worth watching for a long time. Solid team last year. It's been a little up and down with wins and losses, but it's uh, again, I I've tweeted this out. I, I I promise you I'm going to pick Illinois run round too far. I'll, if I pick them to the Elite Eight, they're going to lose on the Sweet 16. If I pick them to the Sweet 16, they're going to lose in the second round. If I pick them to the Final Four, they're going to go in the Elite Eight. I, I just can't I can't resist this team. And good on them to win when Desumu fouled out on a trash call um, in regulation. They got the win nonetheless there. And then we had mentioned it before. Um, Michigan State actually put up a good effort. Now, if you're Iowa, maybe it's not a great sign that Michigan State scores 37 against Rutgers. Uh, can't get it going whatsoever against Ohio State, then it walks into your barn uh, and and says, we don't give a freaking flip about Carver Hawkeye, okay? Don't care about the man, and we're going to score 78. Iowa wins by six. Luca Garza cr- crosses 2,000 career points. Um, Iowa gets the win there to keep itself in the Big Ten race, to keep itself you know, chasing toward that one seed line. Um, so that was the other notable uh, Big Ten result. And then the last one, GP? I actually did call this one on the side. I picked Texas. That was wrong. But another money line play I picked was Ole Miss to beat Tennessee. And your Vols, 52-50 loss. Good on Kermit. You know, I don't know if Ole Miss is even going to be an NIT team. I don't know. That's a, that's a good win. But Tennessee, man... I don't know. Two and three in his past five games. Two and three, 12 and four overall, five, five and four. Alabama's already wrapped up the SEC regular season title, but this was the thing that like clinched it, clinched it. If there was any hope that Tennessee was going to just click back into a dominant form and maybe take a chase at it, it's done. It, it, it's still the number one defense in the, in the country, Tennessee is, as of this morning, but the offense is bad. Uh, your guy, John Fulkerson, isn't a top 400 player in the sport, and you wanted him what top has 10. Happened? So I don't what know. has happened? Listen, I tried to warn you. I don't, know. I don't know what you want from me. But that was the other notable game from Tuesday night I wanted to bring up because it got lost in the shuffle, understandably so, but not good. Tennessee could be another one of those teams like Texas. Now, I like Texas more than Tennessee, but could we see it on a four-line, a five-line, dare I say a six-line? I don't think it'll be that bad. That could be on one of those seed lines where it's capable of making a deep run despite where it lands in the tournament. Real quick, because you mentioned you're going to pick, uh, pick Illinois to go one round too far. You're committed to the calls. I am. If you could just right now take four teams and put them in four different regions, and those are your four teams to make it to the NCAA tournament, one of your four teams would not eliminate another one before we got to the final four. Gotcha. Do you know, do you know which four you'd go with right now? Well, we know the obvious two, and then... 
Yeah, I would say those two, Nova, third, and then GP the fourth is tough. Um, if Iowa just what it would be Iowa if they weren't a sieve on defense. I don't trust them. It would be if they were not. They are one hundred and seventeenth in adjusted defensive efficiency. You're not getting there. With there that. is not another team in the Ken Palm top thirty. That's worse than fiftieth. It's 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 glaring. It's glaring. So I can't take Iowa. I can't. I want to take Houston, but I just can't do it yet. That's one of mine. I want to take. And by the way, they they would have been playing Gonzaga this weekend if Kelvin Sampson didn't say no. That's imagine Gonzaga. I a uh, Gonzaga Houston just improvising. Are you calling Kelvin Sampson a chicken? Are you calling Kelvin a chicken? Come on, Duke. That's the wrong one. Hold on, hold on. Are you a chicken? <laughs> Come on, Duke. <laughs> I hit the wrong one. You got to know your buttons, man. I got to get it. <laughs> you have to know your buttons. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that- <laughs> buttons That's together. Right. Um, okay. label, label your buttons. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I want to take Houston. I can't, and I wish they were playing that game. He didn't take it because it was too much travel. I understand, but yes, it was it was uh, Samson's decision. He actually went on the record with that earlier in the week. But that would have been absolutely phenomenal if we got Gonzaga versus Houston, um, arguably best offense, arguably best defense. That would have been incredible. Uh, so I guess my fourth team on the spot right now. Uh, I, I'll you know what I'll take. I'll take Virginia. Reigning national champs, I guess. I got no confidence about this, by the way. I guess. Who are you for? I have incredible confidence in every every <laughs> every team I pick. Um, Gonzaga, Baylor, obviously. Houston is uh, one of them. And, I mean, like, they're second in defensive efficiency, first in offensive rebounding percentage. So think about that for a second. You can't score on them, and then they create all these extra possessions by getting uh, offensive rebounds. Like, how, how are you dealing with that? And, by the way, Kelvin Sampson, despite his unwillingness to play Gonzaga, uh, they lose three of the top four scores from last season's team. Caleb Mills leaves the team after f- four games, preseason AAC player of the year, and they just like, it doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't, doesn't matter. So Houston would be one of them, and then I think my fourth is Alabama. I want to pick Alabama. I'm close to it. 14-4. and four. I have only lost once since December 19. Super fun. And it would be, it would, it really would be something if, uh, if we had Bama make the final four the same year that it made the CFP, and then obviously won the national championship. So you like, I trust Villanova more. See, I think it's more about get to the tournament. The coaches who have done it recently, uh, Villanova, uh, you know, that program. Virginia still has players on the roster that won the national championship. That would be my pick. But I do like Bama. So you like them more than the likes of Villanova, Iowa. Michigan's the wild card here. We're not mentioning, but it's still on pause due to return in eight days. So we want to see what it's like once it comes back. But that's a fun four that you're picking there because Houston good on defensive end and Bama's good on both ends. Um, they're just a, a little more unpredictable on offense, even if they're fun to watch. Yeah, I, I, you know, to be clear, like th- what I just said, Gonzaga, Baylor, Houston, Alabama will not line up with the top four, the top 25 and one. I do that based largely on resume. I'm doing this based on just the type of teams I could see, you know, winning four games to get to the final four. Gonzaga Baylor, like there's no intelligent way to pick against either one of them right now. So we're really just picking two. And I just think 
I mean, Houston is super reliable. If you're going to guard an offensive rebound, like if I can count on those two things from the jump, you're hard to beat. If you're going to guard like crazy and grab extra, uh, grab your own misses, create extra possession, you're just you're just hard to beat. And with Alabama, I don't know that we're one of the four best teams in the country, but the style of play, if they get going, they yeah. just can bomb you. And I just I could absolutely see them running through a little four game stretch where they shoot forty two percent from three point range, launching thirty two a game, and they're just you look up and they're one of the four teams left because the style of play just they got they they got hot at the right time and that style of play you get hot with that style of play you're you're blowing people out yeah and to your point what we talked about earlier uh, Alabama if it does do that it it could be one of those teams that enhances the NCAA tournament experience for the casual fan more than they even realize heading into it. If, if you're going to tell me that Alabama is going to be, you know, dropping 15 threes on average in its tournament games, then it's going to make for a, a more fun tournament. Real quick here as we get out of here, we lost, you know, for everyone listening earlier on Wednesday, we lost the best game of the night, in my opinion. Louisville at Syracuse has been postponed because of COVID-19 protocol at Louisville. There's not a there's not a ton here. LSU Bama is playing Wednesday night at uh, at seven o'clock, and then Seton Hall at Providence. That's kind of an urgent game for both of those teams. Virginia plays at NC State, but Thursday, um, you've got Ohio State at Iowa. That's the best game of the night. That's a seven o'clock tip on ESPN, and then you know Minnesota Rutgers. Uh, it's Temple's first game since John Cheney passed. So Cincinnati plays at Temple uh, at seven o'clock. So that might be worth. That's on ESPN too. Might be just worth checking in. See if there's something. Interesting done, pregame, halftime, whatever. Uh, the program's first game since uh, the great Sean Chaney died. And uh, and that's pretty much it. It's actually kind of light, but um, if you want to find some stuff, uh, it's out there. And then obviously we'll be back on Friday to uh, to preview the weekend. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle legend. Shouts to Lauren now. And thank you guys once again for listening to the Iron College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the <sighs> dumbest. Mm pandemic of my lifetime i've had it with this pandemic Warlander. i know i've had it so i've had it it's it's nearly been a year all right enough enough is enough enough is enough coming up on it i didn't see this one coming i did i never seen one like this 2011 times square i told you i read i read i read about them i read about them but i never seen one with my own eyes like this it's been been a hell of a deal. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. We might read it on Sunday night. We're really close to 2000. I think we're like up to 1994, 1995. So we're really close. Push us over the edge by Sunday. We'll celebrate accordingly, and perhaps we'll read your review on the podcast. Either way, we're going to talk to you again on Friday morning. Till then, take care. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.